Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And in this episode, I sat down with the one and only Louis Black, who I love dearly um, as a person and was just so excited to speak with him. I'm going to let you just enjoy our interview. It was taped to Joe's Pub live. And for those of you who don't know him either because you just um, emigrated here, which is totally understandable, or... um, you know, have, have been suffering from severe illnesses, so haven't been able to check out his stand-up, please do. Uh, you can go to lewisblack.com to do so. Um, and once you hear our interview, you'll know why I'm encouraging you to as well. Please welcome, without further ado, Mr. Lewis Black. Before I was talking about worst intros for for stand up, and I wanted to hear what your worst intro was. It was very close to yours, <laughs> and I actually put it in my act because uh, I was in um, Parma, Ohio, which the lesson there is you don't really perform in a city that's named after a ham. <laughs> <laughs> and the comic before me every night would talk about oh, how do you the whole section was about his uh, wife having a baby you know this it's like there's comics do this there's certain comics who this is like a bit that certain comics do that and these are certain comics you you have a tendency to hate <laughs> and the bit was uh how his wife had, gave birth and he saw the baby's head come out and all this and how big the hoo-ha was. And um, I don't know how to put this fucking politely, okay? <laughs> and, um, and then he's talking about how he was afterwards and the baby had come and da-da-da-da and now they're going to have sex. And he's down there, you know, <laughs> licking, you know, going at it licking away and he's afraid that her and I can't even do I can't even that her pussy was going to snap shut over his head (laughs) and now here's Lewis Black (laughs) nothing nothing not even a beat not even a not even waiting for he already knows you know they're, they're not even fucking laughing uh, they're just in shock. Yeah, yeah take another drink. Yeah. What? Oh no! What is? What is that? Is it bourbon? It's some sort of a with something sweet in it, right? Shh, fuck no. Um, if if she wants another, Catherine. Yeah, if she wants another drink on Lewis. That's fine. Yeah, because I still have my drink ticket. Yeah, there you go. There you go. They spare no expense at the public theater. <laughs> I haven't had a drink fucking ticket since I worked at that goddamn club in Parma. <laughs> you have no idea what it was like to get a drink ticket. I swear to God, it was like, oh, it was like going back to a bad dream. Night after night in shithouse, fuck place. Here's another group of fucking assholes who hate my guts, but here's a drink ticket. <laughs> 
Thomas, Uncle Chuckles, and all of the other No. <laughs> I used to always say that I, f- I felt like I had been raped even though nothing had happened. But you'd walk, walk away looking as if you had... It's just post-traumatic stress disorder is what I remember from... I, was, I started to feel like a stripper. I mean, it's the same thing. I totally understand. Yeah, the stripper got more money. Yes. yes. Yeah, no laugh there because we have empathy for the stripper. Not for us. Nothing. Nothing for the two of us who fucking worked our tits off, but nothing. Just, oh, well, let's. No, no. It's sadder to be a stripper, Lewis. No, not at times. Okay? It's sad to be a burrow in a comedy club. So when you were a playwright, you're like, what's going to be more painful, possibly make less money? And so you X'd out poetry and modern dance, and then we're like, stand up. No, I, uh, I, I stand up was something I was always doing on the side. Oh, at, well, so while you were doing playwriting, you were also doing stand up. I was doing it as if, like most people have a hobby that's fucking like something, you know. Something pleasurable usually. Yeah, you know, that's something that makes sense and f- fulfills them. I somehow glommed on to stand-up as a hobby. I was fascinated by it, and eventually I realized through, you know, that you, you, you write a play, and, um, and then uh, you'd send it off, and then you wouldn't hear anything. Nothing. Did you ever send it off to Daryl Roth? No. Okay. No. Uh, you know, she would, she, you know, it's like that said, if you don't do it, um... Uh, I would. I had like an agent who would send it off. So I don't know, and I don't even know if the agent ever read it. <laughs> so uh, um, that's because your agent probably was an AA and not CAA. Oh yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a story about CAA. I'll tell you at some point. Um, the the uh, so I was doing it on the side because really in essence of trying to get a play read, that you would have more opportunity if you, as a new writer, to get a play read, if you, and I'm, this is for all writers, really, the new writers, uh, t- take your work, put it in a bottle, and throw it in the Hudson. <laughs> and I guarantee that when someone gets it, they'll, they'll go, son of a bitch, and they'll read it. <laughs> and call you. But, uh, so this was a way I could get my writing out. I could write stuff and, and put it on and perform. But the other thing that was so impressive is you didn't go through, you know, the clubs and you weren't part of, like, a clique. You know, I mean, you really went off and did it on your own at the West Bank, I feel like. Yeah, I always... Uh, That's the- a theater for people who know. No, I mean, it's also a part of... It's a Palestinian territory, depending on... <laughs> It's also a theater in Midtown. Um, it's, uh, but when you do one-act plays, you have just as many... Well, I, there was a joke there, but I couldn't even get to it. Um, the, uh, we, I, every time, from the time I came to New York, I lived literally... I came and I lived in the East Village. I lived on St. Mark's Place. When I first arrived, how much there. was your rent? I love property porn. How much was my, your rent? My rent was uh, there were five of us living there, oh. and uh, and it was six hundred dollars for each person or together? No, uh, per, uh, together. Oh yeah. Oh oh. Okay. All right, assholes. Let's get a grip. Let's get a 
a grip on fucking reality. Okay, this is 1979. When a dollar bill <laughs> bought shit. Four shit shit house bedrooms, little fuck bedroom. The, the bathroom was larger. Um, and, uh, but I started from the time I came here, I started, I always felt from the beginning that I, running a room was a way in which I could get performance time and find a place to put on my plays because I knew nobody was going to do the plays. I had that, learned that much by going to drama school. And, yeah, um, drama school. Well, yeah, but I don't like to bring it up. Um, they, don't, they don't deserve the fucking publicity. And, um, no, I'm serious. The amount of hate I have is really... <laughs> This is you really, you're picking a subject. You might as well, why don't you just say, hey, Lou, come on down, we're gonna pick some scabs. <laughs> Do you know how many of us were, we had to go to like therapy for years because our parents weren't happy with the schools we went to? You went to Yale and you're like, fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah, but I went to drama school. So it's not like going to Yale. It's like going to the fruity side. Wherever you can, wherever you can put it on your resume, it seems like pretty good to me. No, yeah, it really worked out. <laughs> I became a comic. That's how well the drama school worked. And it took 20 fucking years for me to figure out I should be a comic. Okay, so tremendous career counseling again. <laughs> So that was, so I ran the room so I could get up and do the stuff and, and put my place on, and that's what I did. And that was what, I ran a room over here on uh, LaGuardia Place for, for like two years, and, uh, and had comics come in and stuff, and musicians, and then, uh, and when that kind of folded, I got the, the, I got the opportunity to run the West Bank. I wanted to show a clip because I don't know if everyone knows that you were at The Daily Show from the very beginning, and I wanted to show, this clip is not from the very beginning, but it's from the day that um, Craig Kilborn interviews Jon Stewart, and there's a clip of you um, back in black. This, this is, is like a mortality section. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell, can we show the, this clip? So this is the day that Jon Stewart came on and met with Craig Kilborn before, and now he's introducing Lewis. When I did the light, you guys listen to my hands. Take a good look around. Once again, Hanukkah's little candles are buried under a gazillion Christmas lights, which are saying, we're having fun, we're having fun, and you're not because you're a Jew. Even the post office wants Christmas to be a blast. I don't care what they do, you're still waiting in line. Now, now, why is she handing out cookies? She should be opening a window for service. And the cookies probably taste like the back of a stamp anyway. And just listen to her. This is traditionally the busiest mailing day of the year. I'm on postmarking about 1.6 million stamped cards and letters. Oh, yeah, she's going to snap. Anybody that happy about the mail is going to snap. This whole post office is way too happy. But things could be worse and more lonely because now we have internet shopping. Now, how pathetic you have to be if you're sh Christmas shopping with a pack. I guess the advantage is you can masturbate while you pick out presents. And you can't do that at Macy's during this season. I know, I tried. <laughs> Thank you.
was with Liz Winstead. Was well, I started with I was the, on the second, the the first or second week there. I was on the first like five or six shows. One of the first six shows. And this is in 1886. This was um, <laughs> this was uh, yeah this was 1997 or something. Yes, and um, so Madeline Smithberg and Liz Winstead created it. Did you know them? I knew Liz. Who's a comedian also. Who's a comedian, and that's how she knew me, and I knew, and it was her uh, baby, and I knew Hank Gallo, who was a producer there, okay. and uh, actually was the, uh, helped edit this book, helped me get this book done, and uh, Hank and I, um, Hank and Liz knew that I had, I mean, at that point I had been wandering around New York City as a comic for, for a while, and, and everybody uh, knew, I, they knew that I had a ton of material, so... They kind of came to me because they needed stuff. I mean, it was the same sort of thing. They just needed stuff. Nobody knew who it would run or anything, but it was a place I could get the stuff out. Because uh, so that was how it all came to be. And was it political? No. So with Craig, it wasn't political, right? From the yeah, beginning. Yeah, it was. Well, it was. It was more topical. like. It was more like uh, the the you know there was uh, a Whitney Brown was on it. The, the folks we had that would go out the comment or the. Uh, the interviewers would go out and find, you know, wacky people and stuff like that. I would do political stuff at time, from time to time. It, it still had a bit of a political bent. It really didn't time. grow into the, 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 what it became until John came in. And you were mentioning what a sweet, um, noble person Craig Kilborn was. He was a prick. <laughs> really, what an answer. Just unbelievable. And that was, the, that was one of those moments in time when I... And I've said it before, but you know, but the, you know, it was, came down to Craig and uh, Liz had an argument, and I cannot remember what transpired. But Craig is the one who stayed, and I thought that's kind of unbelievable. He he had said that she would give him a blowjob whenever he wanted. Right, something stupid, something yeah. really sensitive. In, in a magazine, yeah. yeah. And uh, and uh, then uh, so she um, so she left the show. And uh, which I thought was sad. And then when he left the show, I gave him a really great bottle of scotch. Uh, and it took him two years to thank me. You know, and all you want is like, here's the bottle of scotch. Say fucking thank you. You know, that's I, I don't ask for much. I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, he didn't. <laughs> before you got the scotch, before. He, um, he said that, but he was really uh, he didn't know the jokes. A lot of the times that he was reading on the teleprompter. Yeah, he doesn't seem like the sharpest tool no. in the shed. Oh, so he even had it on a teleprompter and still that was challenging. He just didn't know what the joke was. Okay. You know? Where he'd make a suggestion to change it, and it was like, no. He, didn't, he just was, no. It was, no, let's not even talk about it. So one of the other many things that I love about you, one of them is that you hate schmoozing and networking, and you always rail against, against that stuff. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I was never good at it, and uh, and kind of what happened. You know, I, I schmoozed my way into the back and black section. Segment. That was one of the. How did you do that? Well, the thing was, is that it, we, 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 I was doing the segment, and what I wanted to do was uh, my intent was is that on Fridays, um, the my my bigger notion was is that on Fridays I would take what we did during the week and capsulize it and make it, you know, I do the, the week in review on a Friday. Or worst case scenario, on Thursday I would do uh, a, a two-minute capsule of the week. That's what I wanted to do. And we had this discussion about it. And, uh, 
at a Christmas party. I went to the Christmas party to schmooze. <laughs> and uh, we ended up with Back in Black, which for years was me like, here's a squirrel on a motorboat, and that kind of stuff. I, they, what they ended up doing was they went, oh, that's a great idea. That's terrific. And the next thing you know, they dumped every kind of psychotic piece of footage they had that had nothing to do with the news and said, well, here, put this all together and make a story. And that was really what became Back in Black. And, then, and, that, was, uh, and that was fine. I mean, I was lucky. I mean, it's, it's still, a, it was a great platform. I was lucky to have it. It was, it was an ad. That's what Back in Black was. It was an ad that allowed me to, to be, for me to sell my stand-up. And in addition um, to, to doing Back in Black, you're, you're known for, like, very politically thoughtful stand-up. If you read and you must read, this wonderful book, Nothing Sacred. He also has two other wonderful books. But you really talk about how much you care about politics. And you're also such a good student in school. You were um, second in your class in high school. You went to UNC and to Yale, which you obviously have a lot of respect for. <laughs> and I was curious how all of that, um, you have all these thoughtful ideas, and yet the time you go to get arrested is uh, for being in a bus with um, topless ladies. Topless teenage girls. Oh, even better. I apologize. I mean, let's get it right. <laughs> and you were with one of my favorite comedians, um, Jim, Norton, Jim Norton, at the time, who used to play Scrabble with me when he wasn't um, being peed on by prostitutes. Yes. And it was when I just started stand-up, I remember my, my grandmother asked me, like, have you made some friends? <laughs> I was like, well, I have. I, I play Scrabble with one. And she said, that's just swell. <laughs> I was like, when he's not being peed on by prostitutes. <laughs> She's not with us anymore, but um, it was great to share with her. My um, so yeah, so tell me about that that incident. Uh, what what, what well, the what, hell what, were you and Jim doing? Well, what we, what drove me to that incident was that uh, they I was on the show, and they said that we were going to get we had the choice of staying there in the studio. This is for uh, Opie and Anthony. For Opie, the Opie and Anthony. It's radio like NPR, show. but a little different. Yeah. <laughs> and this is when it was still on AM. Okay. So we're on, and, uh, and so we get in this, uh, they said, you have the choice of staying with us, or you can get on a bus, and it's uh, there's with these four girls who they brought on, and the, and the, and the, the bus, and the, there's two girls who were already, who were with the bus. Uh, it was a bus that went around the country, and then topless girls would get on the bus and they would drive around and the whole concept was that what they were what they the guys of it was I, yeah. no, seriously was is that to uh, to show you know that it was about a, it was a freedom of speech thing it was all about freedom of speech and I said it was the same thing that if there's that would mean like the, like similar to the freedom of speech that like if you're in a, there's a fire in, in, in a uh, in a in a movie theater, you can yell "fuck." That was what that bus was like to me. The you know, same sort of kind of concept. And uh, so I so I had the choice to stay with those two schmucks. They're getting on a bus with topless girls driving through New York, and they're going to be like exposing themselves to, to you know to people on the sidewalks during Christmas, okay? Like 12 days before Christmas. It's like the streets are packed. It was spectacular. And it was, because people stopped. Nobody got upset. And this was a way in which I'm going to be playing at, at Farties in New Jersey on Friday and Saturday. Well, if I'm on this bus, 
people are going to roll into farties, I can guarantee you. But if I'm not on that bus, they ain't coming. So we all left those two idiots in the studio to get on the bus. I was thinking promo, okay? And, uh, and so that's why I did it. And it was an extraordinary experience. And we got through the city, we got through the city faster than we, uh, I've ever, we, 40 minutes. We went from midtown, downtown to the very end through the financial district, back up to mid, to, to 57th Street, 40 fucking minutes. All, all because of breasts. All because of breasts, people just moved us. <laughs> The power of feminism right there. It was great. And then I got, then we got busted. Like two blocks from the place. And that was, uh, and it was- Two blocks after, from the radio station. From the radio station. We got busted. We got pulled over for, for, uh, for causing a disturbance. And, uh, and because, here's the, here's one of the kickers, Bill Clinton apparently was going to be on the route coming in that our bus was on. So God knows, Mr. You know, was gonna. So and, and it was Juli they, and Giuliani was in charge at that time. Another one I'm in love with. Did they think that this was like a welcome committee for Clinton? I mean, you could have gotten away with what you guys were doing. We absolutely could have gotten away. We could. We were two blocks from from home, and uh, but I have to say that um, it we it it, it did um, because I got taken into jail for like. 48 hours, 36 hours, that uh, the next time I started appearing around New York, and, and Jim and I started appearing, uh, people poured in to see us. Poured in. Can you not use the word poured in after I just explained that Jim North gets peed on by prostitutes? Well, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think of it as a recall. <laughs> That's because you're a male and you're not, not you're, he doesn't look at you in that same way. Yeah, and I don't, and when he says stuff like that, I go, I don't listen to him. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm like, yeah, anyway. Um, uh, when I perform, uh, no one hits on me. When you guys perform, you get hit on all the time. Who are you talking to? You. I feel like men in stand-up, I get... I oh, get... yeah, boy, they're, ra they're racing up. Women just, you know what women love? They love bitter. They can't wait to get close to fucking gnarly, pissed off, you know, goddamn... Especially the language thing, they just, oh, how sweet. What a sweet man. They just race over. Oh, can I get you anything? No, bullshit. I know. Bull no. fucking shit. You've been with me, bullshit. Well, not in that way, guys. Oh, no, not in that way. It would be too terrifying for both of us, lying side by side, screaming our problems at the ceiling simultaneously. <laughs> done shows together when yes. you saw women flocking up to me. Get, get a grip. It's nonsense. <laughs> it, 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 some guys, it, some comics do. Most comics don't. But most women are smart enough to know that a guy, they, they basically you're funny, you're not that funny. I just feel like they're not going to, that the male comics generally are not going to be good lovers. That's my only concern. <laughs> Wow, and the pee thing bothers you, but you don't mind lashing out at me. Nice, subtle, aggressive little move there. No, we're off. I'm an awful. I'm terrible. I go, what do you think of this? Hey, yeah, but you, yeah, let me try this joke on you. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. 
Hey, no, yeah, that's what you meant. Wow. Let's, let's segue to a really wholesome topic. Your father... <laughs> um, your parents are both incredible people, and your father um, quit his job be- because he didn't um, agree politically, correct? He left, he left early before he could have gotten a pension and all of these things. That well, he, got a, well, he worked for the U.S. government as a... Uh, he worked for the feds as a... Um, a design, he designed sea mines. <coughs> sea mines are the mines that look like a beach ball, but they got those spiky things on them, and uh, and they you put them in a harbor to protect your ships from incoming fleets and stuff, or you know, an attack. So he he didn't really like making weapons, but uh, at the time he was making weapons was in the the late forties, early fifties, and when you tried to tra- tried to transition out, uh, either ran into the fact that like. Bendix, which had been making a ton of electric things, you know, now was transitioning. All of Americans, uh, except for maybe GE, was in its own part, did the same thing, was transitioning into weaponry. So he, that was what they wanted to funnel him into, or he got whacked because he was Jewish, because there was still a certain amount of anti-Semitism. Yes, but he... Uh, but Sam Black is not a Jewish name, and then they got him in the room, and then, we can tell. So, um, so he... Um, he had, had never had a problem building, uh, I mean, designing sea mines because they were defensive weapons, so he could live with that. And then um, we got into the, the war in Vietnam, and my mother was running around yelling and screaming about she's against it. And my father would go, well, you don't really know what you're basing this on. It's, we went in on the thing based on the, this Gulf of Tonkin resolution. The Gulf of Tonkin resolution was based on uh, uh, this, the Geneva Accords. Yeah. And my father is the only man that I know of uh, who read the Geneva Accords to see if we had a legal right to be there. I would come home and he'd be sitting. It's a book of about a little tiny book, 100 pages, and he's sitting there every night reading it. And he finished the book and put it down, and he said, there's nothing in here. We have no legal right to this war. We have, there's nothing legal or morally right about what we're doing there. And, uh, and so he was against the war, and uh, now my mother had more ammunition, so she could really bellow every day. And then, um, and then we mined Haiphong Harbor. And when we mined Haiphong Harbor, <coughs> my, father, uh, my father was, we were now using it as an offensive weapon, and, um, and so we, uh, he was using it as, he saw it as, as an offensive weapon, the use of, of what he did, and he couldn't tolerate it. And uh, I was just finishing up college. My brother was just entering college, and he, he said, I'm, I'm going to quit. And he walked away at the age of 55, which is like 10 years before you're supposed to take your government pension. It was pretty extraordinary. I've never seen anybody else do it. It's incredible. I was curious if it if it buoyed you because you you know it feels like your fame fame came much later in life and when you got it you took it and you said I'm going to run with it and then you produced I mean you've had ten CDs ten specials three best selling books you've performed on every stage Were you, did you feel inspired by him Yeah yeah <laughs> he was inspiring in the sense that it was um, uh, you you go ahead and you don't. You, you don't pay attention to anything. You, what, you go to what you believe in. And it's, uh, it's always hard for me to talk about it. 
because I, I tear up like Jack fucking Parr. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very sentimental about it. It's it, it, it just weird. I mean, because it was really an extraordinary. Nobody does it. Nobody says, I believe in this. I, I, you, I mean, I, I'm not, not anybody else I knew. No, it's unbelievably inspiring. Yeah. Uh, reading about both your father and, and your and, brother. And my brother. And my mother. And my mother. mother. My mother had a job in the in the district school system. Now, district school system at that time when they moved into Washington is segregated. She's dealing with these kids. She's going to teach them math by we're going to here's a you have a hundred dollars or going to the store and you're going to buy a hundred dollars worth of stuff. So she's trying to teach them math in a practical manner. Well. The school system finds out, and they go, well, you can't do that. And she goes, fuck you, and she walks. So as a result, we were really middle class. We were super middle class. Uh, we, as a result, we had no vacation. The vacations were, we're going to go to this cabin, and, uh, and there'll be a bathroom somewhere. <laughs> Stuff like that. You know, not most people would go to Grossinger's, Jews who were well-to-do. We would go to, to like, Saugerties, to these little cabins where, where socialists once dwelt. Well, I, speaking of which, I know that you now um, do play golf, and I wanted to get you something since we're both from D.C. Um, I got you a golf shirt that says Taxation Without Representation, nice. which is D.C.'s uh, license plate. Is there still the tag on it there? I hope so. Because yeah. oh, no, no, no. no. I'm going to get something nice. Yeah, you can take it back. But I, I wanted to get you something that I thought you might wear. I will wear. Um, and uh, when you're playing golf, I um, I love you. I'm so grateful for you on stage and off stage, and um, I'm so thrilled that you came and joined us tonight. Oh, I my want pleasure. Everyone to get you. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. Thank you so much for tuning in. Go to Employee of the Month show to get details for our next upcoming live shows, March 5th and April 10th at Joe's Pub. You can go to joespub.com to get tickets. I would get tickets soon because the show always sells out. And I just want to give a special thanks to Dave Klatt, Ian Mazoff, the Beyondo Band, and Shockwave, the latter two who you often hear on the episode. This winter has been brutal. I feel like we're all in that Ray Bradbury essay where on the planet, there's they, these kids live on this planet where it always rains and there's one day of sunshine. And on the one day of sunshine, this girl gets trapped in the closet by her classmates and she never gets to see the sun. And I feel like for most of us around the country right now, that is our life. So I'm, I'm really hoping you do not get stuck in a closet and miss the one day of sunshine. Talk to you soon.